The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, Mark chapter 10 is a passage that Chris and I were at a conference over in Dallas uh, probably a month ago, and a, a guy preached on this passage in Mark chapter 10, and it it's a passage that I was familiar with and that I'd heard before, but it it hit me in this new way. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, that you know, you're familiar with something and then all of a sudden it's like it's brand new for you. And I grew up out in the country and we had some cows and if some of y'all know how cows eat, then they'll eat something and then they chew it up and swallow it and it, then the, a little bit later then it's like blip, they chew it over again, right? Swallow it down a little bit later, blip. And they, they mull it. And they just, it keeps getting chewed on. And it keeps getting this nutrient sucked out of it. And that's what the scripture should be for us. To meditate on the scripture is for, for it, us to read it and think about it and be like, okay. And then maybe a little bit later, then blip, comes back up and it just continues to tumble in our mind. And that's what this passage has been doing for me. And as it's been doing that, then it's pushed into some areas that I go, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want it pushed in there. And it's encouraged in some areas that go, man, like this, I need this for now, but also probably for the future. And so I hope that as we look at this, it's going to be a quick little sermonette, but I hope that as we look at this, that you'll be encouraged by it, that you'll be challenged by it, that it'll push into some, some new areas, that, that hopefully it will be something that rattles around in your head as you're going about your eight to five, that as you're dropping your kids off in carpool line, or as they're running around in your house, or as you're eating dinner, that, that this is tumbling in your head of, of the truth that Jesus is going to proclaim and promise here in this passage. So let's... I want to catch you up with Mark and then um, with where we're at and what Mark's been doing here in this gospel. I love the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8 is a, is a key point. Mark is answering these two questions. Who is the Messiah and what kind of Messiah is he? And so chapter 8 is where he answers that, that, the, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then from 8 on, then he's answering this question, what kind of Messiah is he going to be? And that he's the suffering Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. And so we get into to Mark chapter 10, and we've got the story of the rich young ruler that starts in verse 17. And many of us are familiar with that, that man comes to Jesus and says, hey, how can I get to heaven? How can I be saved? And Jesus gives him the Ten Commandments checklist, right? The, I'm a good person. And, and the rich young ruler is understanding that much like culture understands that of like, okay, I didn't murder, I didn't commit adultery, I didn't steal, like, okay, I'm, I'm a good person. And the rich young ruler says that, and he says, like, I've kept these things from my youth. And Jesus knows his heart, and Jesus then probes into his heart because his heart is not fully surrendered to Christ. His heart loves stuff, right? And so Jesus says to him in verse 21, and he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And so he says, okay, go sell all your stuff and come follow me. Like, do you love your stuff or do you love me? So Jesus probed into his heart and the, the rich young ruler or the rich young man, he walks away disheartened. Verse 22 says, 
He went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. You know, he walks away and he loved his stuff. And he wasn't willing to give it up. You see, Jesus is hitting a very important point here that, that if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. You are going to have to leave behind things in order to follow Jesus. That's the assumption. Jesus just assumes that. And so we need to heed that and say, for me to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to leave things behind. Maybe even good things. Maybe even valuable things. And so the passage continues and Jesus is talking to his disciples and his disciples are kind of asking these questions and, and they're kind of amazed at Jesus and they're like, whoa. And so we get the passage where, where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are like, like they're amazed at this and they ask the question like, well, then who can be saved? Like that's impossible. And that's exactly where God dwells is in the impossible, right? And that's exactly what Jesus is communicating is that, that I do the impossible. I speak things into existence. I bring the dead back to life. I do the impossible. With man, it is impossible, but, but God works in the impossible. And so Peter then asks this question. If you pick up in verse 26, it says, And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but with God... But not with God, for all things are possible with God. And I love Peter in this next section because I've kind of found that, that I may be a little bit like Peter, that in one moment I'm like, yes, Jesus. And then in the next, I'm like, ooh. Like, and then one minute it's like, Jesus, you are worth everything. And the next minute it's like, ah, is he really? And, and Peter is this weird mix of kind of this ugliness of the Christian life of like this sanctification process that kind of looks like an airplane bumping along the, the runway, which is some of our lives, right? That, that it's not this like pretty perfect like, oh, every day I'm more like Jesus, right? Sometimes we like, we have these bumps. And Peter here, I think if you look at verse 28, I think that Peter hasn't exactly tracked with Jesus because he's still stuck with what he was saying to the rich young ruler. And Peter, verse 28, began to say to him, see, we've left everything to follow you. Like Peter's like, Jesus, wait, time out. Can we go back to this? You just told him to leave everything and follow you. And like, I left it all. What about me? Jesus, I walked away from it all. What about me? Like he's still got his stuff. He's still got a place to live. He's still got his family. He's still got his future and his security and his inheritance and his reputation. What about me? I don't have any of that, but I have you. What about me? Are you worth it? I think is the question. Jesus, I left it all. Are you worth it? And Jesus is going to answer Peter with three promises. And so that's why I want to unpack quickly here. And so there's so much in here and we could spend so much time, but we just don't have it this morning. But I hope that this rattles in your head. I've been rattling this for months and there's so much here. But the first promise, let's just read the whole passage. Verse 29, it says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brother and sister and mothers and children and lands with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So let's look at this first passage. What is the first thing that Jesus promises? Jesus promises that whatever you leave behind, Jesus will provide a hundredfold. Now, it's really important the next words that come out of my mouth, right? Because there's a prosperity gospel that I would say is contrary to the scripture. But what in the world is Jesus talking about? Is he just being parabolic? Is he just speaking figuratively? I don't think so. I think Jesus says, because he specifically says, in this time. And the next things that he talks about, he's not being parabolic about. So how in the world does Jesus provide a hundredfold everything you leave to follow him? That's a million dollar question, right? Well, he tells us throughout the scripture, he provides it through the local church. Jesus provides a hundredfold what Peter has left behind by giving him a family and a community in the local church. Now, this is going to push our way that we think about church, but I want to encourage you and say, I think the Norris Ferry does this really well, actually. I think this is a, one thing that we do really well. We love each other well. But what Jesus is saying, that if you leave your mom and dad, you'll get a hundred mom and dads in the body of Christ. What Jesus is saying is that the blood of Jesus runs thicker than the blood of your family. Now, wait a minute. That's going to stretch us because family's family. And Jesus goes, oh, but to follow me, some people are going to have to be ripped apart from their family. If you want to reach Muslims for Christ, you better have a deep, deep understanding of this. Because to walk away from their family, their inheritance, their future, their security, their safety, and say Jesus is worth it. That whatever you leave behind, you'll receive a hundredfold. You see, Jesus is making a, a stout promise that pushes and pulls us and says, so who am I a dad to? Who are you a brother or a sister to? Who are you, a mother or a father or an aunt and an uncle? Kristen and I have experienced this. We moved to Shreveport, Louisiana with no family here. Obeying God. To say, okay, we're going we're gonna to follow where God wants us. The, it's distance, but to live close to family with four little children is a big blessing. And so what we found here at Norris Ferry is it's grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, a hundredfold what we left behind. That you guys literally have been family for us. And that's exactly what the scripture says, that, that Peter, if you walk away from everything in the body of Christ, I promise you will find a hundredfold what you left behind. Do you believe that? Are you that? You see, it's not just the family, but it's also the security. 
It's also the future. You see, when they sold lands or when they missed out on lands, that was their entire livelihood. I don't know where I'm going to eat. But what we find out in Acts chapter 2 is that people were literally, people that had were selling their land. They were selling their house. Would you sell your house to provide for a member of Norris Ferry? That's what Jesus is saying is that in the body of Christ, we become one. We become a family. Jesus prayed, make them one as as we are one, meaning he and the Father and the, the Spirit. Make them one as we are one. It's the Trinity that the body of Christ is one. And so we're challenged by this, that God's going to provide everything we need a hundredfold what we leave behind through the church. That should challenge us. That should press us. should encourage us in that. Number two, what he promises is he promises persecution. This is interesting here. In America, I think a lot of times then we discern God's will by its ease. Right? If I obey God, everything goes smooth and easy. If I'm in God's will, then, then there's no problems. And Jesus, just very clearly, he puts it in there with persecution. If you want to follow Jesus and trust and obey him, people will not like you. You may miss out on a promotion. You may miss out on a job. You may have people talk about you behind your back. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean everyone's going to love you. And Jesus promised it 2,000 years ago, and it hasn't changed. But isn't it encouraging that Jesus told us ahead of time? Think of the mess we would be in if we thought, man, I'm doing everything that God wants me to and and people hate me. I must be getting it wrong. But he says, no, 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 no. To follow me, you're going to face persecution. You're going to. Be prepared for it. Don't be shocked by this. Don't, Don't be like, whoa, what am I doing? Jesus says, hey, this is part of it. This is part of the way that I'm going to advance the gospel. Imagine the the disciples sitting there. This is the beginning of Acts. Jesus has just reappeared to them. He's come back after the dead and he's shown himself to them. And he says, okay, now I want you all to go and spread the gospel. And they're like, yeah, everyone's going to love this message. And then they go, everyone's trying to kill us and chasing us out of town and imprison us and beat us. And Jesus goes, I told you it would be this way. There will be persecution for you to follow Jesus. But then I love what he promises next, and I think there's a progression of this, that that Jesus is worth following no matter the cost because he will meet all your needs through the local church, through the body of believers coming together. But you're going to meet persecution But then what's going to get you through that persecution? He says next, and in the age to come, eternal life. This isn't how it always is going to be. There's a day coming that he tells us about where he's going to wipe away every tear. Where he literally is going to crush the head of the serpent. Where Jesus' enemies will be put down forever. There will be no more battle. 
There will be no more struggle. The lion and the lamb will lay together. Everything will be made right. And in the age to come, eternal life. That we don't live for this day. We live for a future hope. That Jesus promises us that the persecution will make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing is what James says. Because we live for a future hope. For a future promise. You see, when we say hope, it's not this wishful thinking, I hope it happens. Because Jesus is the one who says, and in the age to come, eternal life. And guess what? Jesus is the one who secured our eternal inheritance. It was Jesus who then in this next passage, if you skip down to verse 33, he says, saying, see, we are going to Jerusalem. Because right after this, he goes, Jerusalem's where I've got to go because Jerusalem's where I'm going to purchase your salvation. Jerusalem is where my blood will be spilled and I will take on the wrath of God to satisfy it for you so that you can have a future hope. He says, see, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You see, Jesus didn't just say, I'll I'll give you eternal life. He was the first fruits of of the resurrection. That this isn't it. That death no longer has a sting. He was the first fruits. That we have a future and a hope of eternal life. You see, so Jesus answers Peter's question, what about me? I've left everything, was it worth it? And Jesus says that if you trust and follow me, it's worth it today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. Do we believe it? Do we live it? want to pray and then we'll watch this video and we did this with the Johnsons we we put flesh to this and so what I want to do is is after this video then I'm going to have Shannon and Carrie Lewis our missionaries that uh, we partnered with in South Sudan and I'm going to have them come and and you're going to get to see some flesh put on this everyday people that have trusted and obeyed the Lord and and seen persecution and have seen the Lord provide a hundredfold and that live for a future hope. And so let's pray and then we'll watch this video. God, thanks so much for your word that challenges us, that pushes us. God, but that gives us so much encouragement that you tell us what it's going to be like. You tell us it's going to be worth it. God, would you captivate us that we would live this out? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God has done an awesome work. And he's used the local church, and he's used people answering the call. And so I want to invite Shannon and Carrie up. I was building that, and I was a mess trying to build that video, just like, boo, you know. Um, but the, uh, the Lewises have embodied what we saw in this passage, and they've got to experience God in some pretty incredible ways. And so I want to ask them a few questions um, this this morning, and, and you just get to hear from them. So our partnership in, in South Sudan kind of came to a close the last trip we were in. Many of you guys may have heard this, but in, Steve and I went, and, and we were basically kicked out. 
saying we can't go back into Karkamugi um, because of commissioner and different things. And so, so ministry kind of shut down on us, and ministry continued to shut down for the Lewises to where it said that we're here as long as we can do ministry, and, and all the ministry doors started to close. And, and so, so this is kind of, a, in some ways, a, a bookends of what, what used to be, but there's, a, there's still a path forward of, of Norris Ferry will always be connected to the church in Karkamugi. And many of you guys have their pictures on your fridge and are praying for them and have invested in countless ways. Um, I watched the video and I, I legitimately have friends that are there. And so in a small scale, we get to experience what y'all have experienced so much more. Um, and so just walk us through a little bit. Uh, how did you guys see God provide through your time in South Sudan? Well, before I answer that question, I just want to say from our family to you, thank you. For the, the seven years of partnership and just the way that you have committed uh, to not only to us, but to the Taposa people and committed to God uh, of doing some difficult things. Um, those 46, that's, that's incredible. 46 members have come over. That's, that just blows my mind. But for those of you who didn't come over, I know you're here praying. I know you're here giving and supporting us uh, and those that came. So thank you um, first. So now to answer that question. Uh, you know, my entrance into Karkamugi was sort of uh, comical. I told the, the morning group that I had a, a buddy of mine on the back of my motorcycle. He wanted to go see some extended family, and we come to this place called Karkamugi. I'd never been there. I didn't know it was called Karkamugi. So we got to this large area, many, many villages, and I ran through this ditch, and I flew over, and he flew over the, the handlebars of our motorcycle. And um, we didn't get hurt. Uh, I got up sort of laughing because I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, he didn't get on the back of the motorcycle. He walked the rest of the way where he was going. <laughs> but that was my grand entrance into Karkamugi. Uh, but that day I saw something uh, that just <clears throat> this land of 30,000 people that had never heard of the name of Jesus before. And I committed that day to coming every Tuesday to start teaching up under this big tree. And so every Tuesday, I would say most Tuesdays that I could, that I could come there, um, I taught. I just started with just a, a few men and ladies who were interested in seeing what the, the white skin was there to, to say. Uh, and that's really where Karkamugi started. We invited a college team that spent seven weeks uh, living in tents, cooking o over an open fire, uh, mapping out all of the villages, trying to find persons of peace, trying to find which villages were friendly and which really didn't want us there. They did an incredible job that opened up the work for, for your church. Uh, and then you came. Uh, Tracy and David came on a, a vision trip, and we spent time in prayer um, asking the Lord if this, is, if this is right for your church. I know they came back, brought you the information, and you prayed and voted as a church to take on this commitment. And so I want to just thank you for that because your relationship with us um, out there has meant the world. Um, the encouragement that we have received uh, from emails, from phone calls, uh, has just meant the world to us. So thank you. But Karkamugi started, there was nothing, no church, no believers, 30,000 people uh, started with teaching, and then slowly by slowly, uh, we would have a believer, maybe two, would be baptized. Uh, we tried to reproduce uh, everything that we did, um, so then they started baptizing. 
Um, you guys came, started helping me do training and evangelism. The number grew. Um, many, many miracles. Uh, the Deposa got to see miracles, and that was the greatest part. We got to point the Deposa to God by you know these things that he did. Uh, and then over time, a church finally formed, other groups formed, and uh, the, the leader, the, the tribal leader over all of the Taposa uh, there in Karkamugi became a follower of Jesus. And I remember when that happened, just all the barriers fell. And all of a sudden, we could go anywhere, do anything, and the word of God started spreading throughout all of, all of Karkamugi. The really uh, thing that, that I guess all that really got me is the day, two days before we left South Sudan, knowing that, that we would not be back to live there, uh, two of the leaders, that, the ones that we formed relationships early on, walked 19 miles one way, 19 miles one way, just to come and sit with us and say, thank you. Thank you for coming. Please come back, but thank you for coming, and uh, they just wished us well. And I, I don't know that I would walk 19 miles one way to do anything. But um, they came and did that, and that was special. Yeah. Okay, so, so walk us through from landing in South Sudan, June 2009. Y'all uh, walked away from some, from some careers. Um, June 2009 to flying out, April 2018, knowing that you weren't coming back there to live. That's a, a long question, and I'll try to give you a short answer. Uh, yeah, we arrived 2009 on this little dirt airstrip in this little small plane. Um, five of us. Uh, Walker was 18 months at the time, and we were just following God's call. And and that's all. That's all I can say. God told us to go there, and that's where we were. Got off the airplane, and I will tell you that moment when reality hit you. That was when reality hit me. And one-way tickets, four years. This is your new home. Take care of your family and do what call, God's called you to do. Um, I was not equipped, not ready. <clears throat> and we struggled. We struggled for the first six months because we, uh, you know, we knew some things. And we, were, we, we called ourselves outdoor people. And it's an outdoor place. And I feel like we did well for six month, months just trying to stay alive. That's what we were trying to do. In our own strength, we were just trying to stay alive. And then it hit us one day. We said, what are we doing? We're fooling ourselves. We're, we're going to be here for a minimum of four years, and we're exhausted already, and we cannot keep going on our own strength. I remember it was the day, it was October, we got on our knees and said, Lord, we give this to you because we can't do it. Plain and simple. Not our strength. We can't do it. Things started picking up. And uh, slowly by slowly, we're in the dirt, talking with Taposa, a little bit of Taposa language, having to learn that, learn the culture, uh, making a lot of good friends. And one thing I, I, I mean I really need to add is, you know, this was our family. And, you know, they're strangers at first, and then they become friends over a period of time. But then they really become family. Um, we, we delivered their babies um, we helped them get over their sicknesses if we had medicine. Um, Carrie worked with the ladies in the garden. Um, I helped walk with the guys when they were doing their cows. Uh, we just lived life with them. We buried their dead. And when you do that for that period of time, this becomes family. And it was, um, it's no longer a mission trip. This is your home. This is, this is life. And we got to see God just do some incredible things. Um, 
the miracles really stand out. Little kids with malaria that should have been dead the next morning, we go and we pray, allow the whole village to, to know that we're calling on the Creator God to heal this child. The next day he's out kicking a ball. It's not us. This is God performing, showing his power in front of the people. Uh, another time, uh, another child comes to the gate. We take the child to the clinic. Uh, within hours, the child dies in Carrie's arms. Uh, you know, not the outcome that we wanted, but a couple of weeks later, 17 to post some men and women accepted Christ because we had an inroads uh, to the grandmother, grandmother's village. And we could only point back and say, we don't know if, if this was God's plan for your child to die or not uh, and for us to come to the village. But what if it was? You know, we are here sharing the gospel, and now these people have new life. So we just got to see so many things in God work in so many ways, uh, starting from nothing. When we left in July, um, I think there were over 30 churches, um, all Toposa churches, um, that were standing on their own, thousands of baptized believers. and But we stand here this morning saying, we don't deserve any credit for that. This is God's work. He just called us to go, and we were obedient, and we went, and we just got to be used uh, from God. Yeah. It's incredible. Of You're seeing God provides a hundredfold. You know, that God answers, and God is faithful. That You know, just to, to go from... From no known believers to God's glory is being proclaimed among the Toposa, you know, is we're living out the New Testament. I mean, and so to be a part of that, it's incredible. Um, so let me ask this. So, so what's coming next? You're not moving back in to South Sudan. So what's coming next? The first things we have are we leave here on December the 27th and we will fly to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania where we will start learning a new language. Um, so us oldies are going to learn a new language again. So we'll do about six months language school, um, and Walker will be going with us. He will go into a, a Cambridge system school there while we are in language school. After we complete language school, which should be around the end of July, we will then go to Nairobi, Kenya, where we will start um, a new work on the Nairobi City team. We will be the... Uh, catalyst for the cousins, which is a code word for Muslims, um, the cousin work in Nairobi City team. So as Gary said, we will be team leaders there working with uh, three predominant tribes, uh, the Somali people, the Barana people from southern Ethiopia, and the coastal Swahili people from the coast of Tanzania and uh, Kenya. They comprise about 700,000 people. And uh, Nairobi life will be a bit different. Uh, this is country folks moving to the city. Um, Nairobi is about 3.8 million people, about the size of Louisiana, population of Louisiana in one African city. Uh, so you can imagine uh, going from a rural setting now to um, this big urban setting. Yeah. And, and what will y'all, so y'all will be working with these three people groups and kind of pioneering these yeah. are unreached peoples. Right. So they're all unreached peoples. And so we are charged with not only developing the strategy to reach them, uh, but to uh, develop and build a team. Uh, there are other organizations or other people that have been working with these groups for years and years. So it's not like the Taposa and that we're the very first to interact with them. Um, but we feel like that God has placed us there very strategically uh, to build a team. Um, we're going to get to use many, many different avenues uh, than we got to use in 
in South Sudan. Uh, medical is going to be something big. I know there's a lot of medical professions here in the room uh, doing medical clinics. Uh, we can no longer go in and say we are missionaries. So that will change. Uh, we will not be open missionaries like we were in South Sudan, uh, simply because of the, the safety not only for us but the people that we come in contact with. Um, so that will be different. Uh, and then the fact that uh, we are in a city, uh, we just can't uh, do things like we, like we did out in the bush. Yeah. Okay, so what are some specific ways that we as a church can pray for you guys? Um, you guys can pray for us. Uh, like I said, transition. I didn't share um, how much transition our family will be in. We will be leaving our oldest, Benton, who is um, a freshman at William Carey University. So this will be our first time to leave and go to a new home in Africa and leave one behind. We'll also be leaving uh, Davis. Our He's a junior, and we're going to let him stay in Minden with my parents until he finishes his junior year so that he gets a whole school year somewhere. And when he finishes, he will join us once we get into Nairobi. Um, so you can be playing for transition for all of us, um, not just Shannon and I, but our kids as, as they are away from us and the different struggles they'll have. You can um, be praying for us as we go to language school that um, our old brains can uh, be smart again and that we can retain what we learn. And uh, relationships are also formed as we're practicing our language in Tanzania. And then uh, the new people group that we will be working with, the, um, the Muslims uh, in Kenya, that God will, you know, go before us. And he's already working in their hearts and in their, in their minds and giving them visions and dreams of who he is so that um, when we're there that, you know, he's already preparing them to hear what we have to say. Um, the, the way ministry for us is going to be a little different is we can't just go up and meet someone and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, because in a Muslim culture, that's a no-no. First of all, we would get kicked out of where we were, and it's already a roadblock that they don't want to hear. So we're going to have to... First, be friends, get the invitation to come to a private place so that we can have these conversations. So you can be praying for um, just relationships um, in advance so that we can have those uh, relationships to go ahead and be into the homes or have them into our homes so that we can start having spiritual conversations. Um, and then last but not least, um, continue to pray for Taposa. Um, there are many believers and church um, churches that are already there, that you'll just pray for God to continue to just stir in their hearts and just to provide their needs, and that they'll have um, the desire to continue on his work, and that they will want to continue to share who he is with others, and even to their enemies, the different tribes, and that God will just continue to work among the Taposa. I want to tell you a quick story. God gave us something really sweet before we left Nairobi. So when we left South Sudan, we were in Nairobi for one month. And when you look in the book of Acts and you read, you start seeing um, houses and persons of peace. And uh, God gave us that in South Sudan through this one man and his family. And when we were in one of the neighborhoods in, in Nairobi, uh, it's called, uh, well, we call it Little Mogadishu. And... Uh, you know, Somalia, uh, the capital of Somalia is Mogadishu, and uh, most of the Somalis are, are living in this neighborhood, about 100,000 of them. And when we're there, 
Um, of course, we're looking a little different than they are. The ladies are, are all, you know, they have their headdresses on, and you can just see their eyes, and, and the men are dressed different. And we got a lot of different looks um, walking in the streets, uh, but that's sort of the, the way really to get out and, and, and start testing the grounds. And so Carrie and I were walking and, and praying as we walked, but, but God led us through a, a group of connections to this Somali family a husband, wife, and two young girls, and they invited us into their home. And I will tell you, for the last almost 10 years in South Sudan, the, that level of hospitality will never compare to the level of hospitality that we received uh, on those visits to this Somali family's home. Um, they rolled out the red carpet for us. Um, every time we were there, they prepared meals. Um, they would go and, and buy carry pieces of, uh, of linen and different cloth. And, you know, we were always the givers in South Sudan, and it was felt very awkward to be now on the receiving end of so much hospitality. You hear so much negative news about Somalis here in America. I know you do, and but I just want to maybe change your thought for a second. The things that you're hearing, these people are lost, and uh, I know there are some ugly things that happen, but ugly things happen because these are lost people that we're talking about. And now we're over there trying to give them hope, hope for the future, and trying to share Jesus with them. So uh, be praying for us, be praying for them that God would really open up their hearts, uh, because this is a tough, tough ministry. I, I, I'm telling ourselves, we lived in a tough place, and the people that we were ministering to weren't so tough. But now I think we're moving to a lot easier place to live, but the people are going to be much, much tougher. So uh, this family just extended its, its home to us, and I do believe that God has placed his family on our heart for a reason. Yeah. Well, I want to continue to challenge us as a church that, you know, some of us, when we hear working with Muslims in Nairobi, our mind goes to bombings or to terrorist attacks <laughs> or to things like that, and you go, oh, no, not me. And so I want to challenge us um, that to, to pray for our own hearts. Um, but what are some things that we as a church can do right now? Well, the, the biggest thing that you can do is pray. We've already talked about that, so that's probably the most important thing that you can do is pray not only for us but for the people that there we are trying to reach. Uh, the second thing is we want to continue this partnership that we have had with you uh, over the last seven or eight years. Uh, it has been such a blessing, and uh, I do believe that this new partnership is going to open a lot of doors uh, for some new and different types of people um, from your congregation to come over. Uh, no longer do you have to sleep in tents and potty outside and cook over an open fire. So uh, I know that probably just um, knocked out a bunch of you. Um, and that's okay. I get it. Uh, but now, I mean, you're mo it's a nice environment. Um, you'll probably be staying in a, a nicer hotel, nice food, and the plane ride is about the same except that little bitty plane ride that's probably the worst part of it. Um, so it should be a little more welcoming for a lot of you to come over. Um, we are looking at possibly doing things with teachers, uh, a lot of things with athletes, coaches, um, uh, medical people, business people, and I know that just hit a lot of you in this room. And so there are endless ways for you to participate uh, and be on mission. You know, the big thing is be on mission here where you live every day. But then 
continue that on over at a longer distance and come be a part of what's going to be happening in Nairobi City. It's going to be exciting, and we want you there, and we want this church on board. And I know there's a large um, influx of Muslims in Shreveport and Bossier, and so I want to stretch you guys to get to know your neighbors, even though they're different. Invite them to your house. Invite them to have coffee. Ask questions about who are you. Tell me where'd you come from. Where's your family? What brought you to Shreveport? Um, you never know how the Lord's going to use that. It, you know, sometimes they're just waiting for someone. You know, they've heard about Jesus or they've heard about Christianity, but know nothing about it. So you um, just pray that God will stretch you to get to know. The, the lady that always wears the headdress. And students, I know there's tons in your schools. Even in Minden, there's some. Um, so get to know these kids and um, just pray that God will give you the opportunity to share Christ with them. Awesome. It's been so fun just to, to hear about different elements and, and to hear more of the stories. Carrie came back decorated because the ladies were like, if you're going to America, you have to be looking good. And so they, they got her double-armed henna um, so that she could be looking right when she came home. And so just the hospitality that I've seen there and, uh, you know, some of us that got to go over to Fort Worth and work with refugees got to see some of that hospitality of people welcoming us into their home and and laying out the the red carpet. Um, And so it's going to stretch us. It's going to challenge us. But at members meeting, we're going to talk some more about this partnership and what what that will look like for the future. And so we'd love for you guys to come back to members meeting tonight. What I want to do now is, is I want to have Shannon and Carrie come down here. And, and you guys come, and we're going we're gonna to pray over them. They're, they're still here in the States until just after Christmas. And then they're going to be taken off um, to go to Dar es Salaam. And so Maggie Hickson, one of our members, they're going to be possibly staying in her old apartment. And so they'll be able to connect in some different ways. She's there in Tanzania in a different place now. But... Um, so just small world making some really cool connections that Norris Ferry is, is having a, a gospel influence literally around the world. And so we're excited about that, and we just want to continue to pray that God would, would move and that we would be obedient to what he calls us to. So you guys come. The Lewises are going to be here. The band's going to come. They'll lead us in one more song after we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.